You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. Come with me in your Bibles to the book of Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1. We're doing a, a Connect, two weeks of Connect series. And uh, the goal is to get you connected. So today I'm hoping to, from this scripture, draw out some things to, to help you understand why connection is important. Why connection is important. Let me just say this right off the bat, just on the, on the, uh, the goal that I may offend somebody. That people that try to do spirituality individually are weird. <laughs> Jeremiah chapter 1. <laughs> says, Then the word of the Lord came to me in verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. One more time. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you and I ordained you a prophet to the nations. I have four points today, but before we get to the four points, let me just give you three truths that you will not learn in a college or a university or sadly in a high school today, three truths that this scripture reveals to us that it's very, very important that I share these with you so that you can understand the next four points or the four main points of my, my text today. The first thing that you need to understand is before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. The first, first thing you need to understand is that existence precedes conception. Before I formed you in the womb, I already knew you. So existence precedes conception. The second one is that purpose precedes birth. Before you were born, I sanctified you and I ordained you as a prophet to the nations. That, that purpose precedes birth. Before you were born, God already had a plan and God already had a purpose for your life. And number three, assignment precedes awareness. Assignment precedes awareness. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I'd already set you apart. Before you were even aware of who you were, before you were aware of your environment, your name, before you were aware of your ethnicity, before you were aware of your culture, before you were aware of anything, I already had an assignment for your life. These are the three truths that you will find that Satan has eradicated from our culture. We have an abortion culture. We have a convenience culture. If something is inconvenient, then let's just terminate it. But you need to understand there is a sanctity and a sacredness to every human heartbeat, to every human life that God has revealed here that the enemy has gone after, that existence precedes conception, purpose precedes birth, and assignment precedes awareness. This message that I'm going to preach to you today on, on connection and why connection is important actually came from uh, Morgan Irvin and uh, Paul Churchwood and, and uh, Ernest, and now I'm in trouble, Alex and many of our, our team said, as, as we come into 2020, we're going to move from being C3 front, still staying in the C3 family, but we really felt 
that we were going to move into being called Awaken Church. Seven years ago, or almost eight years ago now, we, we, we purchased the URL Awaken Church. We just knew at some point it just wasn't the right time before now. Now is the time to, to roll out, and that's a whole other message. But I remember um, Morgan wanted to, to, to talk about the designs and everything, so I just thought, well, you know, I'll give you an hour. You know, show, show me and I can tell you, don't like that, really like that, don't like those colours, I like that shape. What about more? I thought I'd give you, and he says, no, I want two days. I'm like, two days? Two days? And then all the team are encouraging me, oh, Pastor, you've got to do this thing, you've got to do this thing. Now, he's the guy that helped Hewlett-Packard when they split to, to help them with their brand and their design. He has contracts with Google and contracts with Apple, so he's a smarter man than me. And, uh, and so they're like, hey, you know, and so I said, I'll give him one day. I'm thinking, golly gee, what a waste of a day. A whole day on it, you gotta be, and so at the end of the first day, I'm canceling everything on my second day to be there on the second day because he was asking questions rather than just showing things because he wanted to, to design the logo based around the DNA of who we are. And so as, as he began to ask what I thought was very, very penetrating and invasive questions around why we do connect, why, why is connect important? We came up with, with four reasons. And sometimes you don't know what you know until you're challenged on what you know. Sometimes you don't know what you know until somebody actually inquires and demands from you an answer. And so as we began to, to boil down why do we do connect, we, we, we came up with four words, and these are the four points today. But we came up with four points, and the title of my message today is The Silent Cry. The Silent Cry. These are, these are not just four thoughts or four phases or four points. They're actually four cries of the human heart that cannot be met anywhere else outside of the community of the body of Christ. The first one is loved. Sorry, excuse me, the first one is known. Sorry, the first one is known, to be known, to be known. The second one is to be loved. The third one is to be wanted. And the fourth one is to be needed. Every single human being longs to be known. Every single human being longs to be loved. Every single human being longs to be wanted by somebody. And every human being longs to, to be needed. So they're the, the four points today. The, these, these four points, the reason we arrived at them is because they weren't just the essence of why we do connect, but they were the why behind we, why we do connect. It, for us, it then... It then began to really impact us that this, it, this is the measure, this is the goal, this is the motivation. Our goal and our motivation is that as you find your roots going down in awakened church, that you will, you will find yourself in a place where you are letting down the guard so that you can be known, that that cry on the inside of you to be known will be discovered. And then from there to be loved and then from there to be wanted, and then from there to be needed. But let, let me just go to number one. Number one, to be known. To be known is one of the greatest of, of the human longings, to be known. The Bible says Adam knew his wife and she brought forth. There was something very, very powerful about being known. I remember when uh, American Idol first came out, they brought it to Australia. Obviously in Australia, they called it Australian Idol. But I remember looking at people who could not sing could not sing a lick, could not hold a note, dear Jesus, trying out. And they even in Australia, because, you know, Aussies are like that. And so they were, 
they put out these DVDs of all the failures, all the people that, you know, <laughs> the blooper reel. And, and unfortunately, I knew a few of the people on the blooper reel. And it became very, very apparent to me that the people that were on the stage were on the stage because they felt like just maybe, just maybe if I'm recognized, maybe if I'm discovered, just maybe that will make me somebody. Just maybe that will make me somebody. The truth is that every single one of us want to be known, but because of a world where there is rejection, many of us are afraid to be known. So we adopt a pseudo identity. We allow the culture to tell us, hey, if you dress like this, if you behave like this, if you act like this, if you talk like this, if you look like this, then you'll be accepted. And, and, and it's a compromise of who we really are. We're afraid of really being us. When, when I got saved, the, the most powerful moment of my salvation was an exhale where I went, oh, because of the peace that I'd made with God, because of His His inexpressible love, I felt the love of God, the unconditional love of God come into my heart. I thought, finally, the exhausting performance, the, the, the wearing of masks, trying to remember which mask did I wear with these people, that, that with these guys, I was cool. With these guys, I was tough. With these guys, I was, I was a jerk. With these guys, I was, I was always a different person depending on the crowd because I longed for acceptance and approval and affirmation, the three A's of, of human need. I longed for those things, but I found I never got those things because I had so much father rejection. I couldn't handle being rejected by my peers. I couldn't handle being rejected by my culture. I couldn't handle being rejected by my community. And so I literally became a chameleon wearing mask after mask. But when I found Christ or when Christ found me and came into my life, I remember just feeling so loved and so accepted by God. I said, you know what? I'm making a vow today. I'm making a declaration today. I'm not wearing any more masks. If the great creator of the universe accepts me as I am and he's not a dummy he is pretty smart then he must see something that I don't see well one of the great things about C3 if I was honest with you is that uh, that we give permission for people to be them we give permission for people to be them we I love personality I love personality. Personality is messy. People say non-religious things or sometimes sacrilegious things on the platform. But I'd rather a church that's real. I'd rather a church where, where, where you don't have to conform into an image. Or, you know, that there's somebody else in the workplace, but they get up here and praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Greetings and salutations. You're like, is that Ken? He doesn't talk like that at work. Can I tell you that it takes more courage to be who you really are? To, to, to be known, to be, every single one of us want to be known. I would even say this to you, that, that one of, the, one of the, the reasons that we need to build a healthy church, really extricate the spirit of religion out of a church. Because religion, religion works hand in hand with the spirit of the world. The world loves religion. The world has no problem with religion, you, but it has a problem with Christ. 
Because both religion and the spirit of this world are all about conformity. The spirit of religion and all about the world is all about controlling people. All in all, you're just another brick in the wall. When Nimrod built the Tower of Babel, it was built out of bricks. Each brick is uniform. Each brick is the same weight, the same dimension. It's made of the same substance. But when God builds his temple, he builds his temple out of stones. There are no two stones exactly the same. Each stone is an individual shaped and polished to fit together to construct a temple. That's how God builds his things. God, God created you an individual. God created you a, a, an original so many people sadly die as a carbon copy of somebody else. One of the great tragedies in this life is that people die never knowing who they really were. People die not knowing who they really were. And let me tell you, you can't find who you are by looking in a mirror. Who am I? I don't know. <laughs> Zoolander. When you look into the mirror, you don't actually see you. When you look into the mirror, all you see is your reflection. That's your reflection. But how many people look into the mirror and they don't know the essence of their soul? They don't know the identity of their very nature, their core, their being. You only discover you when you begin to look into the face of Almighty God. The Bible says you were created in His image and in His likeness. The most perfect revealing mirror is the Word of God, is the face of God. As you begin to draw near to God, He will begin to show you who you are. Simba, you are my son, but you've forgotten who you are. Remember, remember. It was when Simba realized that he was the son of the Most High, that everything began to shift. The enemy knows, the enemy knows that he can rob you. He can steal from you. He can have you living under what God has destined for you if he can steal your identity. When Simba did not understand his identity, pride, um, the Pride Land was, was ransacked by Scar. It was a devastation. It was a mess. And he was living in a Kuna Matata land, living, living for pleasure, living for here and now, living for no responsibilities. He had no idea that there was a mantle of kingship. There was an anointing of royalty on his life, that he was meant to exercise authority and bring dominion and bring peace. But because Satan had robbed him of his identity, he lived far below. How many people in this generation don't know what they have because they don't know who they are. When you begin to discover who you are, the whole purpose of Connect is as you get connected with people, you can begin to drop down the mask. You can begin to, to, uh, to allow other people to help you and encourage you and shape you so that you are not just known, but you can be known. Do you know that destiny and identity are two sides of the same coin? Destiny and identity are two sides of the same coin. When God speaks to you, God speaks to you in the language of destiny. The problem is that we interpret it in the language of frequency. Sorry, in the, the, the frequency and in the language of identity. So God will speak to you, Moses, Moses, go to Pharaoh. You're a deliverer. You're going to set my people free. You're going to stand before Pharaoh and you're going to bring Two million Israelites out of bondage and slavery, 400 years 
of, of captivity is going to be broken and I'm going to use you to do it. That's your destiny. God speaks to Moses' destiny. Moses' response is, who am I? Who am I that I should go down there? Who am I that I should stand before Pharaoh? I'm just a shepherd. God spoke in destiny, but Moses responds in identity. The reason we want you in connect group is not because it makes church easier. It's because we want you to discover your identity. The only way you can do that is when you're in an environment with people where you can let down the guard and you can begin to allow the Word of God to bring forth out of you who you really are. God says to Gideon, you're going to set my people free from the hand of Midian. And Gideon responds to God speaking in the language of destiny with identity. Who am I that I should go against the Midianites? Indeed, I am the least in my father's house. And my father's house, we're the least in all of our clans. And our clan is the least in our tribe. And our tribe, if I was honest with you, is the least of all the tribe. He had a broken picture of himself. God had an incredible... How many destinies does the devil know that he can steal, that he can thwart, that he can abort? Because people never discover their identity. People are never, never given permission to be known. Let me tell you, you don't have to become somebody else. God made you you. He didn't make a mistake when He made you you. Don't listen to the lies of the devil. Don't listen to his disqualifications. You're too tall, you're too short, you're too wide, you're too thin, you're this color, you're the wrong color, whatever. Don't listen to the lies of the devil. God didn't have one of you, so He made one of you, and He is well pleased with what He made. Somebody say amen. Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is one of my favorite Psalms. In, in Psalm 139 verses one and two, let me read what it says. It says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. God knows you. He knows you're rising up and He knows you're sitting down. He loves you. He is for you. He is pleased with you. To be known is the first thing. You know, when, when Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, when they were taken captivity into Babylon, the first thing the king of Babylon did was change their identity. First thing he did was he gave, he gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, gave Mishael the name Meshach, gave Azaria the name Abednego. He changed their identity. Why, why, why? Because the devil knows if you know your God identity, you're a threat to his kingdom. So he creates a culture where he wants to rob, he wants to co-opt, he wants to coerce, he wants to manipulate, he wants to deceive, he wants to hijack your identity because he knows if you discover who you really are, you're gonna do great damage to his kingdom. So we want people to understand that they are known, that you can be known, that you can be known for the gift, you can be known for the talents. You can be known for your personality and celebrate. The second one is love. Most people fear being known because they struggle to believe that if somebody really knew me, they wouldn't love me. Most of us live with masks. Most of us live with, with, with uh, a, a fake pseudo personality because we, we, we fear that if somebody really knows me, if they really know my struggles, if they really know my weaknesses, that's why I praise God for a non-religious culture because a religious culture says, if you do this and you'll be loved and we're no different to the world. The world says, if you love me, do this. And in the church, we have the same thing. That's why you will find that we rail against a religious spirit because it robs that very, very thing. When, when, when people can't be themselves, most people don't, 
if people really knew me, they wouldn't love me. Therefore, I, I won't ever let, because I had so much rejection. Mum and dad split up when I was little. My peers, they made fun of me at school and I was awkward. I, I, and all of these things. And so when we come into the house of God, the last thing we want is more rejection. So, so we, we, we will project an image to people that we know. Just like whales send out sonar from the age of 10 to our 20s, we send out signals and it gives us feedback. Information comes back that our brain calculates this is acceptable, this is avant-garde, this is going to cause you to be rejected, this is. And so we, so we begin to, to reshape ourselves, not in his image and likeness, but in an image and likeness that is accepted and approved by the way. But we always compromise a deep part of ourselves. And the reason is, is there's a longing on the inside of us to be loved to be loved, for God so loved. I want you to understand that God didn't love the world. God didn't just love the world. The Bible says that God so, He so loved the world. It was like God was, Gabriel, you don't understand, I so love the world. He so loved the world, He sent His only begotten Son. He sent love into the world. Love is not static, love is dynamic. He, 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 love came not on a mission to accomplish and do, even though that's what love did. Love came to reveal. Love came to impart. Let, let, when, when, when Jesus came into the world, he made the greatest statement on the cross. The, the, the love of God says, I will bear your sin. I will wipe out the ledger of of disqualifications that are that are chalked up against you. I will wipe them all out. I will cleanse you of all your sin, all your unrighteousness, all your guilt, all your shame, all your iniquity, I will wash away. I will break every power of darkness. I will break every cord. I will loose every chain that the enemy has had over your life. I will set you free because you are mine. And then this love is imparted into us. You have a look at the church. The church is the most loving, the most loving organism on planet earth. Why? Because it's the love of Christ on the inside of you. By this will all men know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. When Jesus came into my heart, love came. You know that, that great song, When Love Comes to Town. When, and it's, it was written in church, sang with a gospel choir, When Love Comes to Town. When love comes to town, everything changes. The Beatles were right, all you need is love. Do you know psychology today, psychology today says that the greatest antidepressant in the universe is love. The greatest, people that, are, that don't know that they are loved are vulnerable to depression, but the greatest antidepressant is to be loved. Why is that? Because you were created by God for God. The Bible says that God is love, therefore you were created by love for love. You were created to be loved. To, to, to be known is awesome, but to be known and then loved, man, you just hit the jackpot. You know, uh, I've been married, this year will be 28 years that I've been married, and I, I promise you, I promise you when, when, when Leanne says to me, and this is, this is, you know, obviously something broken still on the inside of me, hopefully maybe Lance will be able to do some deliverance. And, uh, but it's amazing, Le Leanne and I, uh, just the other day on a, on a walk, she, you know, she said to me, I'm so thankful to God for you. I love you so much. And, and, and I hear what she's saying, but my heart defaults to, I can't believe that that's true. I can't believe, no, there's no, you're so beautiful. You could have anybody. I've got so many faults. I'm so jacked up. How could you, is my default. And, and it's amazing because 
it still blows my mind that the person who knows me the most, see, it's easy to perform in church. When I stand up on this platform, I stand under an anointing that makes me look a whole lot better than I really am. <laughs> David said, when the Spirit of the Lord's upon me, I can run through a troop, I can leap over a wall. So the anointing will always make somebody you know, far greater than what they are. That's what the anointing does. But, but Leanne sees me on my worst day. She sees me on... She sees me every day. She sees me not as I am just on the platform. She sees me off the platform. She sees me around the house. She sees me and she still loves me. How could someone, it, it blows my mind that someone, years and years of pretending I was somebody else, trying to be somebody else so that people would accept me. It's still an area of brokenness in my head that somebody who knows me so well loves me and yet my heavenly father knows me inside and out he knows my rising up and he knows my sitting down he knows my visions and he knows my struggles he knows my desires and aspirations and at the same time he knows the dark thoughts the depressive thoughts the sinful thoughts he knows all of those and he still loves me he still i'm telling when you join connect you 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 join an atmosphere, there's a culture around it where you're not just known, but from known you're going to be experienced the love of God. It is the greatest antidepressant in the world. Number three, just to move really quickly, number three. You go ahead, if, you, if you're receiving this, give God a praise. Number three, to be known is awesome. To be known and loved, jackpot. But to be known, loved, and then wanted. One of my favorite 80s songs is, is by Human, Human League, British band. Don't, don't you want me? You know I can't believe it when I hear that you won't see me. Don't, don't you want me? <laughs> and, it's, and it's so true. It's, and it still blows me away that the person who knows me and loves me wants me. To be wanted, to be wanted. Can I just tell you that, 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 that we would have far less suicides. In fact, we'd have almost none. We'd have almost nobody on antidepressants. We'd have nobody joining gangs. We'd have nobody being abused or abusing if people discovered that they were known, loved, and then wanted. God wanted you. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, the Bible says the people were coming past and saying, he saved others, himself he cannot save. Save yourself and we will believe you. Come down from the cross. But Jesus wasn't there to save himself. Jesus was on mission. He was on assignment. And, he, and Jesus was literally saying, I don't want to save myself. I want you saved. I want you redeemed. I want you delivered from all the power of the evil one. I want you in my kingdom more than I want to preserve my life, more than I want to come down from the pain of nails through my wrist, more than I, than I want to do away with the shame of this crucifixion and the, the degradation of it. More than all of that, I want you in my kingdom. The devil's great lie is that you are not wanted, that nobody wants you. When you join a connect group, you will find that there is an atmosphere there is a culture in there where you become, begin to become known. Not just known, but then love. But from love, move to wanted. We don't just love you and put you on the shelf. We want you. We, when, when you're not here in church, there's a hole. There's not just a missing seat. There's a hole. You're part of a family. You're part of a tribe. You're part of a fabric. 
We want you. You, you. Every single one of us want to be wanted. There's nothing greater than being wanted. I remember reading a story many years ago about uh, a rabbi and he was studying and preparing for Shabbat where he was going to, to be teaching on the Shabbat. And uh, I think it was the day before, I think it was a Friday. And, and uh, his little son, Herschel, had some friends over and they're running around and they're playing hide and seek. And then the rabbi noticed that, though, that his son's friends had played a joke on Herschel. They told him to go and hide and then they all left. And Herschel's thinking he's winning the game. And then 45 minutes later, he comes out and he realizes his friends have played a joke on him that they'd all left and he started to cry. And he said, Daddy, Daddy, nobody wanted to look for me. Daddy, Daddy, nobody wanted to find me. And the rabbi was stuck trying to figure out what his sermon was going to be the next day. And all of a sudden it hit him and he began to get a tear in his eye and he said, that's how God feels. That nobody wants to find him. Nobody wants to look for him. That's how God feels. There's something in us that longs to be wanted, that wants to be wanted. God created you that way. In Connect, you'll find that not only you're known love, but you are wanted. And then the last one, needed. We need you. Do you know that God put gifts talents, skill sets, abilities, anointings on the inside of you. And for the kingdom to advance, the apostle Paul says that all of us have a role to play. All of us bring something to the table. You're not just known, you're not just loved, you're not just wanted, but you are neat. For this thing to move forward, did you know that, that, that a one-armed man can't clap? <laughs> Takes two hands to clap. Do you know that God created you to bring a clap, to bring an amen into the earth? God created you to be his amen in the earth. God, God created man almost, it looks like for God's will to come into, he needs our cooperation. He needs our participation. He needs our engagement. He needs you to find a team to serve on. He needs you to find an expression, an outlet for that gift, that anointing, that talent, that skill set. He needs you to be discipled. He needs you to be accountable. He needs you to be teachable. He needs you to find your, your, your tribe. He needs you to find your community. He needs you to find your family. He, need, he needs you. You need to be needed. One of the most powerful, you know, I honestly believe that the greatest compliment to our existence, giving meaning and purpose is to be needed. Hey, we need you over here. I'm not, I'm not sure, you know, uh, obviously this would never happen to, to Nick because, uh, you know, Nick's like the super athlete. But uh, I remember when I was a, a little guy, we'd go down to the park and, you know, we'd play whether it be rugby or whether it be you know, soccer or whatever, and then we'd have two captains. We'd elect two captains and we all had to line up. It was brutal. And then the captains choose who they want. And you're like, pick me, pick me, you know, this. And then they look at you and you're like, yes, yes. And then they go, ah. And then you're the last person there. And when you're the last person there and the two captains are arguing over who has to have you. And then they start saying, okay, well, if we have to have him, we'll do a trade. You gotta give up these three guys who play professional to take this liability on, you know, it's like, it's like, it's humiliating. When I lived in, when I lived in New Zealand, I saw that the power of this firsthand, um, 
we're in, in South Auckland, which you've heard me joke, South Auckland, bro. And because they don't say TH, that's an F. South Auckland. And it's not a youth group, it's a youth, a youth group, bro. And uh, in our youth group, we had, um, we're in a, it was like a very, very low, very low socioeconomic area, like very, very poor, very broken. Where poverty is, brokenness is. Poverty is usually the, the symptom or the outworking of broken homes, vice, all that kind of stuff. And I had a kid, very, very clumsy kid in our youth group and just heartbreaking story. His dad had obviously abandoned the nest. The mother had um, her, her own issues with a speech impediment and everything else. And she felt a little bit embarrassed and very ashamed. She had two boys and they literally lived basically whatever the government could give them as far as the equivalent of food stamps. That's how they lived. This kid heard about our youth group and came to our youth group. He had no GED because he wasn't very, very bright and he just couldn't do school. And I remember one of the social workers said that, you know, his future is also to be uh, an abuser and continually dependent upon government assistance. And then he's in my youth group. Well, because of our youth group and our church, we had youth in the sanctuary of the church on a Saturday night. And it was awesome. Our youth group was called Club Adonai. Yeah, thought you'd be impressed. And... Uh, Club Adonai for those who like the power. That was what's called. Anyway, anyway, I digress. So, so I was I was getting I was getting absolutely grilled Sunday morning because youth had left a mess and the auditorium and the sanctuary can't be left a mess. We got church the next day and so we needed to make sure that when, when the night was over, it needed to be cleaned up. And so I had we only you know we had everybody engaged. And then I thought, I really need somebody who can clean. But who, you know, if I say to someone, hey, listen, I need you to stay here till midnight, if that's what it takes, and make sure that everything is spotless and everything is clean. And then I saw this young guy. And so I called him into my office. And his name was David. I said, David, I've got a proposition for you. I need a cleanup manager. He's like, what? I said, I need a cleanup manager manager Whoa, what, what do I got to do I said well every Saturday night when we finish youth I need the floors vacuumed I need the seats straightened I need all the trash picked up and put out I need everything clean any cups or whatever I need them washed and put away what do you think I said if anybody can do it David it's you that's alright anyway so he decides he's going to be the cleanup manager so the next Saturday night, we're having youth group we had a move of God and, you know, we're praying for people, you know, as people slain, you know, they're laying there. And anyway, usually when there's a move of God, you know, you go overtime. And, you know, we're overtime, but it doesn't matter. All I hear is a and David's got the vacuum cleaner and he's, he's literally, he's literally vacuuming. And there's a head there. He would grab their head. And I'm, and I'm, David, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I've got to clean it up, Pastor Hughes. I'm like, no, not now. Wait till we're, oh, do something. 
He was so efficient. Fast forward about maybe, maybe a month later, a month later, he comes into the office and he goes, oh, Pastor Jürgen, Pastor Jürgen, can I see you? I said, absolutely. Come up to my, comes up to my office and, uh, and he, he can't look me in the eye. He's looking down. I said, you know, David, is everything all right? He goes, oh, I think you're going to be mad. I said, why, why, why would I be mad, David? He goes, oh, I've done something. And I'm thinking, oh, shoot, he's killed somebody. <laughs> and then I remembered, you know, there was, a, there was an armed holdup. I'm thinking, oh, no, he's flipping. Oh, no, he's done an armed robbery. Oh, shoot, I've got to get someone else to be the cleanup. And, uh, God, all right, what have you done? And he, he leans, you know, reaches into his bag. I said, is that, that's not a gun? He goes, oh. And he, and he pulls out and he's got a hat. And then, because we we're Assemblies of God, we, we wore bad suits because we thought it was holy. God doesn't move if you come dressed the way you guys are. You've got to wear a bad suit. <laughs> that was the, fio- the philosophy of the Assemblies of God back then. Anyway, and so he had he, gone to the, uh, he'd gone to the, we call it an op shop, an opportunity store, second thrift shop. He'd gone to a thrift shop and he bought a jacket in his size, a you know, suit jacket in his size. But on his hat and on his suit jacket, he put Club Adonai, cleanup manager. But he felt, he felt so bad because someone said, hey, did you, did you get Pastor Jürgen to approve that? And so he's like, oh, you know, and he'd spent all his money on it. So I said, oh, David, I said, I want you to wear it. I'm not mad at all. Heck, I'm proud. So he's got his Club Adonai cleanup manager hat. And his, now we had to kind of bring him back a little bit, you know, he kind of, a little bit Gestapo every now and again with the people and slapping people with, you know, they're just trying to get a biscuit and crumbs, you know, and, and, uh, but he turned up every week, every week he was there, every week he had his, his jacket and he even built a little team around him and little minions that would clean up and everything. This is a true story. This is so bad. When my, when my mother-in-law met him, in fact, let me just, so what happened was, <laughs> I, knew that, I knew that we had to get, I knew that we had to get David to break the cycle. You know, there was unemployment welfare. And so the, the local grocery store needed someone to collect their shopping carts. And, they, and the person needed to have at the very least a GED. And David went for the interview, so I went with him to the interview. And I just said, David is, and he was wearing his cleanup manager, Club Adonai cleanup manager. And so I told the, the, the guy doing the hiring that he's our cleanup manager and these are his duties and this is what he does. And the guy says, I don't even need to interview anybody else. And I said, oh, but he doesn't have a GED. He says, I don't care. And so he puts David on a trial. Within, you know, within three weeks, he's hired full time and he's the, he's the, you know, and again, he's a little bit, people have not even got their last thing out. He's helping them. So he can take that and say, oh, David, oh, God. you know, just let them. And, and so, so we go shopping to the groceries and, and he's there collecting the shopping carts and he's got his club out and I clean up manager hat and his jacket on and, and uh, you know, and the, the rest is the uniform. And, uh, and I, I introduced my mother-in-law and she goes, isn't that lovely that they give people like that jobs? I'm like, people like what? She goes, well, well, he's, you know, he's special. I'm like, no, he's, oh, stop. And uh, just, he wasn't the, the brightest kid. A year later, there's an opening in the uh, produce. And they needed somebody because people would come along and pick up a tomato and then put it over here with the zucchinis. And, and so 
the guy couldn't think of anybody better. So David, within six months, David became the manager over the, the produce section. Fast forward three years later, he became manager of one of the branch stores. This was a kid that they said would be on welfare. This was a kid. Do you know what changed? Do you know what changed? You trace it all the way back. For the first time in his life, he felt needed. For the first time in his life, he felt wanted. For the first time in his life, he felt loved. For the first time in his life, he felt known and celebrated. And what could have been another statistic ends up becoming an incredible success story. You, God wants you to be known. God wants you to be loved. God wants you to be wanted. God wants you to be needed. Come on, if you believe that today, give God a praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, you're, you're so kind. Just go ahead and grab a, grab a seat. We're, we're out of time. I want to pray for people here today. Friend, I've got to tell you, church isn't uh, a club that gathers on a Sunday. The church is people that have received Christ and been born again. And when you're born again, you are born again of a spirit that is not of this world. And there becomes a love and a flow that this world cannot comprehend, but yet yearns for. When I became a Christian, I didn't join a religious organization. When I became a Christian, I was born again. Something shifted, something changed on the inside. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.